Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about protagonist Ludix. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. On this podcast, we like to talk about games. Um, and this is a this is an important, I feel like, piece of modern game design because we have so many uh, we have so many like examples to kind of draw upon in this clear kind of linear path through history in a way of how we have been approaching right like protagonist design um, over and over again. Yeah, um, just to kind of like clue the audience in at home, what kind of like brought this topic to this. Uh, top of mind is um, for I believe it was Gamescom uh, CD Projekt Red released uh, 50 minutes of gameplay footage for uh, Cyberpunk 2077 actually wasn't for CD Projekt or for Gamescom it was just like a stream they did randomly Um, but uh, something that I noticed while watching the footage and Buddy has seen some of it too is um, uh, the player character in in open world games with customizable protagonists um, the the protagonist is typically um, very much, uh, as Buddy would put it, a, a cipher. It's kind of like very silent, lets you control most of his his or her actions to uh, um, uh, really let you you pour yourself into the character uh, that way. Um, and, th- and this is nothing new for game design, right? Like, yeah. you know, the f- some of the very first protagonists that we, we play as in the early first-person shooters like Doom and Quake are also silent ciphers right probably the most famous cipher in all of gaming history i would say is master chief who is uh, to be kind of uncharitable utterly devoid of personality but on the other hand to be charitable right like that's kind of the point is to allow uh to allow a player to sort of like project uh themselves onto the person you know like the 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 the, the body they are piloting right yeah um and in contrast, you have games like, say, The Witcher, which is the biggest point of comparison for this game, or like, you know, Final Fantasy games, right, like Final Fantasy VII, where the protagonist is Cloud or Geralt of Rivia, and they have a defined personality, and while and while you take actions as them, um, the things they do are not piloted by you, they're kind of piloted by the character they are. Another good example of this is like Kratos um, from God of War. Um, and the interesting thing is you would expect the protagonist for Cyberpunk 2077 to fall into that kind of cipher mold. Um, yeah. Just because it's an open-world game, it's it's a customized character. It doesn't even have, like, a set name. But if you watch the gameplay footage, um, the character seems to have its uh, his or her own personality. In the case of the gameplay footage, it's, it's a woman. Uh, has her own personality and her own set of actions that she takes. Um, and that's interesting because she might be a set character, right? Um and my, my immediate thought was, like, maybe this is because this is how they know what to do, right? They just came off the Witcher series, where Geralt's a very well-defined and strong character. Um, but it's interesting, nonetheless. I, I, I'm curious to see how, how uh, kind of the the gaming community um, reacts to it, if, if that's how it ends up turning out. you know. It also Especially because might... I do think that there's, like, a middle ground that's kind of evinced by something like uh, the Bioware suite of games, like Dragon yeah. Age. Um Mass Effect. Uh, and Mass Effect, right, where you are, you know, like, you are Commander Shepard, and Commander Shepard is a certain number of things, right? But you do have small choices to the way that you can interact with the world through dialogue, right? And whether or not your Commander Shepard is, uh, like, the, you know, like, the two kind of paths they give you are, 
um, Paragon and Renegade and Mass Effect, and then in Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition, your ability to pilot um, the Inquisitor slash Hawk um, is also, like, changed by the kind of choices you make in dialogue. So whether or not you have a smarmy, sarcastic Hawk or uh, a noble, altruistic Hawk or a kind of uh, ruthless and grim Hawk is... Uh, determined by by some you you have a limited ability to kind of like morph the character around. Sure. Um. Um. I'm, I'm, I wonder. Do you have a good sense of where that line is? Because like, I could kind of see this. This you know, obviously we haven't seen a lot of uh, a lot of it for Cyberpunk 2077. So I don't want to jump out too early. But they, it, you know, she does have dialogue options, right? And then even in, even in some games that I, that I would say where you do have. Um, where, where you're much more of a controlled character, you have some dialogue options, um, but you're still very much the same character. I, I, I do think you've nailed it that, like, Shepard and um, the little bit of Dragon Age you've played, that those characters do kind of float somewhere in the middle. But do you have a good sense of where, where a line there is? So I guess I don't have a good sense for where the line itself is. But what I do think is true is that it narrows the range from effectively infinite to one of a couple of different pathways, right? Sure. Um, which is to say that, like, you know, uh, when when I play, when I load up Skyrim, you know, like, I played my first Skyrim character as a stealth archer, like everybody does, right? Um, but, like, I did have a little backstory for him, right? Because he was an Imperial, and so I like the idea, like, oh, he's a, you know, he's an Imperial criminal who escaped to Skyrim and got rounded up at the border, which is why he's headed off to Helgen to get executed or whatever. And then he backs the Stormcloaks rather than the Imperials in the Civil War because backing the Imperials would literally endanger his freedom as soon as they figure out who he really is or whatever. And he needs Skyrim to declare its independence with under his leadership in order to, you know, like escape the yoke of Imperial justice and stuff like that. So there is like that role-playing aspect, but that's almost entirely invented by me, right? Um, and kind of unsupported by um, the, like, like the game's text outside of, you know, a, like a, a 2%, I guess I would say, um, uh, like world building aspect. Yeah, but, but on top of that, it also isn't directly contradicted by the, uh, by the game text, right? Like, it, right, 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 right. Uh, but you don't have that same sort of freedom with like Shepard or Hawk. And I've played through, and I, you know, and so, and people will actually often say that Shepard slash Hawk slash any of the Bioware protagonists are all effectively the same protagonist on the same journey. And I vehemently disagree with that. Um, I think there is a real difference to playing a Paragon Shepard versus a Renegade Shepard versus, you know, like the, 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 the ability to kind of like mix and match, right? Um, I think uh, there, you know, like there's a way to play Shepard where he is, you know, caring and loyal to his friends, but brutal to his enemies, right? And you can and you can kind of evince that by mixing and matching the different, the like the different decisions along the way, right? So you you are effectively being Paragon with all of your um, teammates, but being Renegade with, you know, any any interactions with, like, the villain or something kind of along those lines. Um, and I think that that is, like, a real part of, like, sort of the system, and it sort of, like, changes, like, the path and the trajectory, not to mention that a, a good number of the choices that get made in Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3 affect later down, you know, like, later down the line. Um, 
you know, you can only have a certain interaction with Morden in Mass Effect 3 if you were renegade in Mass Effect 2 and made a certain renegade choice or kind of like whatever that sort of thing looks like. Um, so really, I feel like the line is kind of like, you know, at what point... The, the, the line feels like at some point I am crossing from kind of a player-supported narrative, which is like a narrative that I am sort of thrusting upon the game, to a game-supported narrative that I am curating. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And then and then you get to the Geralt side of thing where it is a game-supported, game-curated narrative. So there's kind of like those three categories in a way. Yeah, no, I, 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 I see that. Um, Geralt gets to make some choices as well, but they're not as nearly story impacting as the, uh, as the Shepard ones. Although, although it's, it's weird to me because like, again, my, my extensive expense experience with the Shepard is that it feels like you get to pick one of several characters rather than kind of a freeform character. And I, and I wonder where that line is on the other side too, right? Like, um, there are some games that like, they're rare nowadays, but where like your character has like very little output at all. As like pure cipher. This is, these are like these first person shooter protagonists you're talking about. Um, even although I would say that like you know Doom guy in in the in the, uh, the recent Dooms, um, kind of has like a, a a sort of personality to him, and that he's kind of wild and crazy, um, and aggressive. But uh, but but they they, they have like very little output into the world. Whereas something like something like Fallout Four, where you have like four choices for what to say, although those four choices aren't all thematically linked to each other, right? Like, in Mass Effect, Paragon, and Renegade, all those choices are, are linked to each other, um, kind of for an arc as a character, whereas they could just, they're just kind of separate in Fallout. But I do think that there's, like, a line that's not really tested, but, but should be there, too, where, where it kind of, like, goes from a full open character to it to the controlled character on that on that i side. mean it's actually interesting because i my 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 view on fallout 4 is well stated on the podcast and one of the big problems i had with fallout 4 was the condensation of dialogue trees to four options um because even the Bioware games don't have that because they have – you have the right side of the screen which advances the conversation, the left side of the screen which doesn't – or like the circle, right? There's that little circle and there are six branches of yeah, it yeah. that can be used at any, any – but like you can do the kind of exploratory dialogue tree by exploring that right side of the circle um, or you can skip that stuff and just advance the plot with by using the left side of the circle, also Dragon Age um, – Inquisition and Dragon Age 2 use this system, and I think that that's pretty, like, elegant, right? And it does make those dialogue, you know, interactions more, uh, like, kind of more nuanced and complex. Fallout is in a position where almost always you are advancing the, you know, like you are advancing the conversation, and there isn't a good typography for what does or doesn't um, advance things. There's a couple of instances, like, a lot of the time there is, an, there is a yes or no or maybe to accepting a quest, um, which is mostly, um, like, which is really the only choice, the, the, the only place where they make that kind of four arrow dialogue tree work in their, you know, like in their, um, in their favor. Otherwise it just kind of doesn't feel like the different dialogue options are, um, I guess like well summarized. Or whatever and so like you end up in a situation where you see something and it just says sarcastic or whatever this is the meme one it just says sarcastic and you respond and he could say something that is 
biting and mean when you thought you were being funny or whatever and all of a sudden like that kind of like that kind of like breaks things down right so i do think that there is a kind of a success and failure matrix for all of these right you know so maybe i would say original doom guy has no personality and he's a cipher and that makes him bad whereas current doom guy at least has something of a personality but you can still project on him or something kind of along those lines um i don't, I don't think not having a personality at all at all is bad right like I, I think there's a place for those types of protagonists like you i think you get those in, in a lot of the old style crpgs and sometimes even in the new crpgs as well right like in like your pillows pillars of eternity and mm -hmm. your um What's, what's it's it's uh divinity see i will divinity. so i would argue that basically any rpg is immune from this like even even though my my character in skyrim is a cypher protagonist i still have the option to to change him to a certain extent whatever that looks like um you don't have that option in like the 1990s doom right you don't have any option you, you there's no dialogue all there is is like when you get hit with like balls sure fire I mean, you know but, I mean, but at, at some point, like, that aspect of that character isn't super important, right? Like, it's, like, you know, if, if you know, using our kind of games as sport, games as, as art kind of dynamic, I, I feel like a lot of those early shooters are, are much more on the sport side. It's kind of, like, nice window dressing. Uh, in that, so if that's true, and, I, and I'm willing to accept that, right, if that's true... Um, this is kind of a moot point. Fair. Like, I don't, I don't think that cipher protagonists, uncipher protagonists kind of um, uh, affect anything from, like, a games as sport kind of perspective. Um, but as a, you know, but, like, th this is something that we can only talk about when we talk about, like, sort of, like, games as art, right? And I don't think Doom is a bad game, right, because right. of this. Uh, but it is something that is kind of, like, what what are the what are the qualities that make a cipher protagonist bad? Those not doing anything at all probably counts. I, uh, see, I, I I I take your point, but I still don't know if I agree with you. Right? Like you can tell a story around a character where the character is kind of like a force of nature. I think uniquely in video games, right? I don't I don't think it works kind of in any other medium. Um, but but I, but I I I think it's mostly fine if the, you know the story is being carried by kind of everything else yeah everything around it like 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 say master chief i think master chief gets a lot more personality towards the end of the series but like you can tell us yeah i think master chief i think master chief is kind of okay because there are some bits of there right like he loves cortana right he has a real human connection with cortana he has a real human connection with the arbiter right um so there are kind of like brief glimpses and then you know whenever he talks which is rare obviously but like wake me when you need me right like you know fucking i can definitely see how that is an endearing thing to to people that kind of like even though he is a cypher he has a couple of lines here and there that bake him into your brain probably the re like we are the fact that we are talking about master chief kind of means that he's good in a way uh. Yeah, I don't know. I also think of Gordon Freeman, who is who is famously silent, um, but has like a whole world going on around him. Um, and doesn't really ha like have a ton that he emotes himself in game. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Hmm. Because I think Gordon Freeman is bad. 
Really? I think Gordon Freeman is bad for a variety of other reasons. Yeah, I mean, I think Gordon Freeman... I, I, am, I am notably down on the Half-Life series from a from a like a kind of a narrative point of view um they're content munchers i've kind of talked about this before yeah yeah where you know like you are rewarded with like glimpses of story between gameplay but it's a really bad way to structure excuse me that's a really bad bad way to structure kind of your narrative and i think in a, in a lot of ways i want to be fair to half-life like it came out i i still think even though it came out in 2007 which is only about 10 years ago right like we were not a very evolved uh, it was not a very evolved art form at that time, and I think it was exploring a lot of new places. I don't like Alex Vance. I think Alex Vance is just kind of like, God, she's just like there to be bait for like male nerds. Like she's approachable. I don't know. She's not a real character either. I feel like uh, she's a little bit like how I complain about uh, Morena Baccarin's character in Deadpool, where she's kind of like this. She's not a real character in in and of her own right. She's just like something that is built to be likable by the people by like the intended audience to a certain extent um and uh yeah i don't know i'm not i'm not super high on the on the, on the half-life games yeah i mean I, I think the world they built is super interesting um and also yeah that, I, that is fair and i think to a certain extent uh like i like the villain in half-life 2 like the or not so not the the number one villain, like that human guy, G-Man? basically, uh, no, 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 no. The what's the the name of like the white haired bearded guy who sells out the humans to the aliens? Oh, like yeah, yeah. That's I actually think the game makes a very compelling point for his worldview. Right, it's kind of like how Elisand in World of Warcraft Legion kind of got a compelling worldview because she was like, listen, I have access to time magic and I ran through the timeline a thousand times and in every single one of them, when I tried to defy the Legion, my people were obliterated. So I chose to side with the Legion in order to keep my people, you know what I mean? Like, or whatever, where she really believes that she has to comp, you know, that she has to compromise herself and her integrity in order to save the lives of the Nightborn. Um, and I think, and I got that same feeling kind of out of this, whatever the government guy's name is, you know, like he made this decision to, to, uh, work with the aliens and assimilate and, and set up a fascist regime with them with, because the option, the other option was obliteration, right? Like they would have just taken everything and destroyed the earth if he didn't cooperate. Um, and so, so I don't think Half Life is bad at all characters, but sure. Um, yeah, I'd also like to point out that the game came out in two thousand four. Um, really? So, yeah. Um, have the original Half Life. Two thousand seven was the Orange Box, actually. That's okay. where Portal came out. Okay, yeah. Portal, I think, which also has a that's an interesting point because like Glados is obviously a very compelling character. Yeah. But um, but Chell really isn't. Chell is like more, less protagonist than Gordon Freeman is. Um, yeah, I, I, I like Portal and Portal 2 a lot, but Portal and Portal 2 are carried by GLaDOS. I mean, Portal 2 is literally GLaDOS's story, right? Yeah. It, um, I, because you hear the recordings of her as whatever, the fucking Lemons guy, J.K. Simmons' secretary. Cave Johnson. Yeah, Cave Johnson. Man, I love... I really love that game. And it is purely because J.K. Simmons is fantastic. And they nail... Like, Man, they nailed it with him. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. But I think that's a good example of a game where, like, like it's a really nothing protagonist, but still manages to have a compelling story around it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean that that is tri- fair. I'm trying to think of other games where I might say that has 
taken place because that because i think it's a little bit like you know in a DD game when you're ex escorting like a really important npc in, in some ways dragon age origins was this um because i thought alistair was really fun you know like alistair is like a fun interesting character who had a lot of depth and complexity even as i i am down on dragon age or origins from its gameplay i think its story was pretty well done um but it was essentially a cypher protagonist where you are carting around a, a stable of much more interesting, much more complex characters and kind of working them through their stories, right? And that is literally the structure of Mass Effect 2, right? Mass Effect 2 starts, you get a little bit of Act 1, a little bit of Act 3 kind of on the, the back end and, and a few jumbles of sort of plot points in between. But the main gaming feature of Mass Effect 2 is about giving your side characters, right, they're like 12 or so, um, giving them character arcs where they come to you and they say, hey, I know we're going on this suicide mission, but I need to resolve this problem with my dad or with the Krogan or with, you know, like whatever else. And you work them, you kind of accompany them through and help them through their character arc. And that's sort of like the character work of the story. Um, and even though I would definitely argue that, you know, Commander Shepard does have a character and he does have an arc um, and everything like that. Um, and it's kind of one of the things that I think is so great about the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, the core experience, like I think a lot in a lot of ways, the core experience is around you as the player life coaching, you know, like all of these, all of these side characters. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't, you know, my, uh, my mind wandered a little bit and I just kind of got to this point where it's like the fact that, you know, I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite shop on the Citadel. It's kind of like a, a resounding meme from that game. I think kind of like really leans into that, right? Like he, Commander Shepard, definitely has has a personality for for better or sometimes for worse. Like I, I don't mm -hmm. I don't think you know anybody's holding up, but you know that line is like uh is like a paragon of, of writing or whatever. Um, but uh, but it does definitely lend credence to that. Um, kind of in that vein, um. I wanted to comment that I think that a lot of this stuff is reinforced by, by the camera in a lot of ways. I think it's much mm -hmm. easier to have a Cypher protagonist with a first-person camera and much easier to have a a, a, a non-Cypher protagonist. What, what would you use for a non-Cypher protagonist? What word would you use for that? Let's say a, uh, let's say a uh, directed protagonist. Yeah. A, right? a directed like, protagonist like a director. With, a, yeah. Yeah, with a third-person camera. And I think that, that kind of can reinforce those themes and, like, you know, in, in these kind of, like, corner cases, like these fallouts versus, um, you know, some of this Mass Effect stuff, I think part of reinforcing the directed versus the cipher nature is, uh, or, like, what kind of pushes it in those directions is not just writing, but where the camera is. Um, you know, despite the fact that technically you can play Skyrim and Fallout in third person, no one really does. And the game is pretty much meant to be played in first person. Um, yeah, I mean, that's actually a real problem that I had with Dragon Age Origins, because Dragon Age Origins, everybody is voice acted except for the main character, um, but they do the kind of thing that they'll do in Mass Effect where they pull the camera out and kind of do some, like, you know, like, very simple stuff, right? Shot, reverse shot kind of thing. Um, but whereas in Skyrim or in, in Fallout, you are, even when you are in a dialogue situation, right, you are you are facing somebody and they are looking directly at the camera, which is you, right? Because it's all first person. What really bothered me about Dragon Age is you get into these dialogue scenes and they're cutting between different characters and you're talking to Terran Loghain and you're talking to, you know, Ogdrin or whatever. And you're talking to Sten. And then the camera cuts to you and it 
pulls up the dialogue tree and you get to choose a dialogue option and you choose a dialogue option and your character doesn't say anything and then it cuts back to the other people responding to your dialogue tree and i understand that that's a really tough thing to do just from like you need hundreds of hours of voice work in yeah, order yeah. to get there right um this is actually one of the reasons that the guy who plays commander shepherd mark Mir. Um, was not originally supposed to play Commander Shepard. He was a last-minute fill because of, like, scheduling conflicts or whatever. And they hired a guy that was local to Edmonton, which is where um, uh, which is where Mass Effect was developed, right, um, by BioWare. And, um, and, he, and so he was local to Edmonton, but a lot of the other actors, uh, the, a lot of the other voice actors weren't, right? You know, like, you know, Ivan Strakowski was, like, in... TV shows at the time that she was recording voice lines for Miranda, right? Um, so they were flying people out from LA to do their to do their lines for the side characters, and that's fine. That makes a lot of sense. But Mark Mir, because there were so many lines for Commander Shepard, it ended up being really useful that he was local to Edmonton because they could just bring him in to record more lines and bring him in to record more lines, right? Um, in the same way that like, uh, and 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 so the problem with dragon age origins is that there wasn't somebody like that and it was incredibly tough for me to get through because it's it was so dissonant to be watching a conversation unfold and then have a blank in that conversation where i'm expected to kind of like i guess fill the voice in my own head with what gets said or something right and then they say it out loud do you know what i mean yeah no i, I actually think that's that's part of this equation though right like if if you're a safer protagonist, having it having it speak in a way is kind of it's 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 it'd be weird and different, um, right? Like it would it, it kind of take away some of that cipherness and put it more in the directed camp. Yeah, um, I know that's that's that, that, that's fascinating. Um, part of this too is like, man, like uh, I'm I'm just thinking about my experience with Mass Effect, and I I made a kind of goofy looking character when I did Mass Effect for whatever reason. Um, mm. And for the longest time, whenever I would watch, like, official footage, I'd be like, that's not Shepard. That's, like, some imposter. The Shepard looks like this this abomination I made on my computer. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's I don't know. I, I think it's, like, a kind of a... See, yeah. the interesting thing with all of this is that I think as voice acting has become a bigger and bigger part of um, the acting world, right? Because, yeah. like, video games have really opened up um, the ability to do, a, to, you know... Uh, have have a much better much more focused talent for voice acting when they're not striking i guess um the i feel like we have been seeing an, an upward trend of voice action of voice acting over time right yeah um world of warcraft in tw 2004 was barely voice acted now it's not all voice acted but the main story quests basically all of the main story quests in all of battle for azeroth have voice acting Right when otherwise it would have just been plain text. Yeah, and um, you, you know I would fucking hate it if my character was voice acted. Um, yeah, no, I I for real get that. I mean, you know, a, a narrative designer who's no longer a narrative designer because she ended up getting like fired over the controversy over this thread. Literally was talking about that. Uh, a narrative designer for Guild Wars Two in ArenaNet uh, was talking about this, where she was talking about how you need, like, as a narrative designer you do kind of need to work around the fact that players are going to think of their characters as ciphers, right? And you don't want to inject... You need to... You want to, you want to inject some personality so that they're not a blank slate. And I do think that there is value in that. 
Um, but not so much personality that somebody can't, you know, that, that the, the wildly different interpretations of the main character can't all fit within it, right? And I think that that's a really real thing because something that I was talking about with a couple of friends when we were talking about the Battle for Azeroth leveling experience is how nice it feels to be leveling explicitly as a, a Horde character and explicitly as an Alliance character versus something in Legion where you are just, you know, you are just anybody. Because no matter who, no matter what race you choose, no matter what class you choose, no matter what faction you choose, your voice action, like the 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 story that you progress through in basically all of the Legion zones, is the same, and that kind of sucks, right? Um, but at least here in Battle for Azeroth, you can make a, there is a dividing line between Horde and Alliance. You can't quest through the Kul'tiris story content unless you are Alliance, right? You can't quest through the Zul, uh, the, the Zandalar story content unless you are Horde. And I felt like that made a really big difference in my ability to kind of, like, work with the work with what they were kind of giving me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, ab absolutely. Um, yeah, ab absolutely. I, I don't think I've got anything to add to I mean, that. Although, it, although I, I, I will it, say that I... I, I the, the bit of Guild Wars 2 I did play, I actually didn't like the parts where your character was voice acted, for what that's worth. That always struck me as weird, and I'm, I'm only kind of like, you know, this conversation is making me realize why that was, because I, I didn't view my character as kind of the way, like, like especially in the moment, I think your character wants to be the character that you want it to be, and if you add any sort of right. voice acting to it, it it's, you're, you're, you're kind of breaking that illusion. Well, and that actually raises an interesting question. Like, to what extent do you think of your character in... Do you think of, like, Bill among the character um, who is, you know, a fisherman raised by Hosen is also the guy that organizes the defense of Zandalar against the blood trolls or whatever? Yeah, I mean, um, my the, my my view of, of who Bill among is has, has evolved over uh, the course of this expansion specifically. I've got... Some interesting ideas for his backstory, but that's neither here nor there. Um, mm -hmm. But in kind of like the general sense, right? Like, I oh my am... god, was he raised by those gorillas that drank Kajamite now? No, no, no. That would be um, hilarious. <laughs> no, no, it's it's actually a thing you'd probably like a lot more, which is when he 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 uh, he deserted. Um, he deserted during the the, the Zandalari campaign in. Uh, oh my god! In Pandaria, I, I do like that a lot more. That's um, really compelling. Yeah, um, that he... actually. <laughs> that actually makes a lot of sense. Yeah, um, but like, like I don't know. The, like, it, basically, he was like some subordinate of some general or of some like commander that got like targeted by the general in the desert zone, right? Mm -hmm. And so he he deserts, and so he's actually a fierce. Uh, he, he's a fierce Zandalari national, but he had to he he exiled himself for practical reasons or whatever. I mean, it's, so it's funny because. We are all canonically, canonically kind of part of that same mercenary company. And when the, all of the stuff with Zandalar opened up, Baron was very worried about going to Zandalar because of how many Zandalari, like, we, as that mercenary group, fought, like, Kexty and Billamong or whatever, like, in character. Because Kexty and Baron have had a couple of times where we've kind of, like, reminisced about things that didn't happen or whatever right, right. Uh, from from when we were mercenaries. But that means that Billamong, he didn't just, like, he didn't just desert, he defected, right? Because he yeah. defected to a group that then went to go fight the Zandalari on the Isle of Thunder, which is spicy meatballs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, too bad I don't really play WoW anymore. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... 
but like you know th that all being said right like like that kind of stuff is important to my visual like my my kind of mental um kind of picture of of uh of billamong but kind of like the storyline stuff i'm able to compartmentalize away it doesn't feel as bad i don't know why right. i can't really put a no i i i i also the very successfully compartmentalized that away. I mean, Baron is on record because I obviously RP the character, and so I have stated his views on like this war and all of this stuff. He is on record that any participation in the war is wrong, right? And that the only kind of ethical thing to do in the face of Sylvanas and her war crimes and all these other things is to be entirely disconnected from the war. You can't even say. I'm, you know, like, I'm going to help the Zandalari because ultimately you're going to help the Zandalari um, to get a fleet to further prosecute the war and any participation in the war is kind of immoral. And that is, I want to I clarify from, like, an out-of-character sort of standpoint, I, that is a, a wrong stance, right? And part of his arc through the expansion is about kind of coming to terms with the wrongness of that stance, right? Uh, but it means that I do have to compartmentalize that version of Bairn that I am RPing in Discord every single day, right? With the version of Bairn that is going out and questing through Vuldoon and Nazmir and whatever else. Um, and I am kind of routinely amazed at my own ability to do that because other people, um, you know, like other people in the in my WoW guild have a really hard time doing that, right? And they want to do things like quit the Horde over, you know the burning of Darnassus because they can't really separate out their character's complicity in Sylvanas's atrocities, right? Um, in the, in the way that they would like to. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know what it is. Cause, cause that was always the thing that I didn't like in Guild Wars 2. I, I've done the, um, the Sylvan, like the, the tree elf people that opening yeah. like three or four times at this point, maybe five or six even, um, and like one of the opening kind of storyline quests is your character gets to a very personal confrontation with his character that's a green knight. Um, and I always, I always kind of hated that because he always like had this like set reaction. It was always like not the character I imagined him to be. I always had a harder time compartmentalizing that away than I did with the, any of the WoW stuff. Even though like theoretically you're one of the guy, you're like, um, you're like the guy, right? Like you're. You you help you help you, you're the, the 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 fundamental kind of uh, actor in making this the siege on Darnassus happen. Mm. Um, although maybe I don't know. I, I feel like maybe those things are like a little bit easier to kind of be like, you know, like you did that, but you're not you didn't really do that, right? Because none of them are actually yeah. the pivotal actions, right? You never you you don't actually shoot. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, Malfurion. You know actually like launch launch uh uh flaming pitch at at um at darnassus or you don't give the order to um yeah maybe maybe that's maybe that's the key um right but so i think the probably better answer might be astronar like if i'm an astronaut like when you're doing the thing in astronar you're running around with the um with the 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 blood elf rogue and killing people you know like that is hypothetically i i personally you know part of this is that i i think it is bad to use kind of real world ethics in the world of warcraft sure yeah in general because it kind of like honestly any real world ethics in any story is really tough and uh you know so like real world ethics like one-to-one -one, right where something is precisely the way you would view it in the real world it's always going to be tough to do because like 
the real world just is not that dramatic a lot of the times, right? Um, and you want to explore stuff that isn't necessarily possible, right? You know, I never want to be in a gunfight, but a gunfight is an exhilarating thing to watch in a movie and John Wick running around killing a bunch of guys, right? Sure, he is like a mass murderer, the likes of which hasn't been seen uh, in American history, but it doesn't matter. I still empathize with him and all those other th things. So there's a certain part of me that wants to kind of like break apart um, my personal ethics with the ethics that I kind of need for the game to sort of like work on a visceral level. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely understand how it can be a tougher thing. I mean, John Wick is an interesting example from a, because it, it is across like is movies and games. Like in games, you have that agency. And so it is hard when you are running around killing innocent guards in Darnassus who never see you coming. How is that honorable combat for any, for any member of the horde or something? Do you know what I mean? Um, that, that is a tougher thing to kind of like reconcile and like navigating that is pro probably why in a certain sense, like cypher protagonists are, uh, popular because you never end up losing someone because they didn't get into your character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, abs absolutely. Um, Yep. How? So, so it's kind of along this line. When it comes to when it comes to these things, how how important is it to 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 you? Maybe um, personally, uh, maybe, maybe in a more general sense as well. That that like the character is customizable to the point that um, it matches something that you want to flow yourself into, right? Like, um, you know, like like there is no there's no Kratos other than Kratos, but like you know, there's you could be a male or a female fallout 4 or shepherd or whatever um and then it's like skyrim you've got a bunch of different racial choices like i can never be a lizard man but i always play argonians mm -hmm. um but i know that some people very much highly value the the desire to to kind of be be themselves in the game um whereas some people kind of like i i know a handful of people who explicitly like to play cross-gender um to quote unquote have something nice to look at or whatever while they're playing um how i'm always very interested by that by that choice and that reasoning, yeah, because because that that like very much goes against the, the cipher thing, right? Like like right. Monster Hunter, right? Like um, I play, I, I prefer to play on 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 gender, um, uh, for um, or on sex, whatever whatever the term you want to use is, um, for my my uh, customizable characters because I I have an easier time flowing into that character, but everything else is is really mutable for me, right? Like like I said, I can play I can play a lizard man, I can play a a, a cat person, I can. Mm -hmm. But, um, um, and it would seem, it would seem to be that it would indicate that that's like that, that ciphering isn't as important if you're not doing that, you know, specific, specific like if you're explicitly doing it for, to have something to, nice to look at, that kind of in, implies like a, an amount of not ciphering into your character. Does that make sense? Yeah, that is actually really interesting. And I do think that there is a certain piece of it. Like I role play some characters that are women in, uh, in WoW. But that is also because I think the proper way to engage with WoW, and specifically WoW roleplay, is as an author, not as what I call an avatar, where, you know, there are some people who invest personally in their characters, right? Their characters are kind of a reflection of them in the game world. Um, and I don't think that's correct, um, specifically because in order to generate good story, you need to generate drama, and that drama of reflecting back through to you, the person, can be, like, 
problematic, right? But it also kind of dampens your ability to kind of do things. Like, you get that sort of situation where sometimes you need a character to make a bad decision, right? So that you can play through the story, but if it's not a decision you would make, you then feel you know, like out of character, kind of like whatever else, right? But as an author, right, I can say, yeah, this is a female Torin druid and she was, you know, and she was one of the first people who journeyed into the Emerald Nightmare during the Legion, right? And it, and, and she took in some nightmare corruption and tried everything she could to scrub it out and drove herself insane because she could never get out that tiny stain of the nightmare from her own mind, right? Um, or whatever. And that's, you know, like, that's not a character that I project upon, right? Um, but it is a character I empathize with, and I can empathize with characters that aren't necessarily avatars for myself and stuff like that. And so I wonder to a certain extent, how much does that kind of, like, authorial logic apply outside of a game like World of Warcraft where I am literally authoring text, right? But so, in a game where I do have some choices like Skyrim, do I have an authorial relationship with my thief? character i don't know i kind of don't know I, that i have a great answer yeah um, no, to that and really i wonder if there are other authorial relationships i have um that i can't think of at the moment well, well so the big one i want to ask you about like just kind of off the bat is how do you play your D, &D characters oh interestingly i play my D, D characters authorially as well in a lot of ways right like the kerfuffle that came about in rise of the rune lords was uh where Mate or uh uh kenzo Kenzo was having kind of a crisis of conscience. That was not a personal crisis of conscience. I felt for Kenzo, right? But I thought it was appropriate for Kenzo's character for him to ask the question, wait, why am I choosing to continue this story, right? Um, and I think to a certain extent, the response was an inability to separate that, specifically from Nick, who was kind of like, who cares? Just do it. You know, we all know we're in the, you know, like we all, we all know we're in the story and we have to get railroaded by the plot sort of, you know, like sort of thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It, it, it's weird. Cause, cause I, I don't know. I don't like, I, I obviously don't view my characters necessarily as like a version of myself, but when I do play them, I do my best to inhabit that character. Um, and kind of like consider how they would be and you know obviously it's always filtered through like you know none of this is 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 perfect right you, you always have to filter it who you are yourself but like when i'm playing say my, my dwarf warlock um he makes he makes some like very kind of like cutthroaty type decisions he's made a pact with a demon right and like some like that's like a a part of the storyline um and like I, I i don't know if i'd quite call it authorial like i like because I, I'm definitely trying to inhabit who he is and 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 play out that character, including the flaws there. Um, but I don't know if I don't I don't think I'd, I'd quite describe it as authorial. I, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I so I so the interesting thing is is that I don't think authorial, in a weird way, authorial is kind of a level above that allows you to drop down into. Right. I think of some of the ways that I have inhabited characters like Gora or Barzillai um, in the context of Hell's Rebels. Obviously, I have an authorial relationship. I am the GM. I am crafting this story and everything like that. But when Gora is like screaming at the top of her lungs about the injustices that have been visited upon her people by the Silver Ravens, I am 
I do think I am inhabiting her character. Sure. And, and to a certain extent, I, by the way, I have to self-check against this sometimes because it is easy. I like, I think it's important for, for Gora to have a perspective, right? Gora is there to kind of ask the question about, you know, you guys willingly sacrificed a thousand Kokari blackbloods, right? Um, and that does run counter to her morals. And that was kind of the quandary that you were placed in and everything like that. Um, but I, I do have to kind of pull myself back from sympathizing too hard with her as if she was my own character, because I don't think Beauregard or, um, like, I, like, I don't think that Beauregard or, um, Marigrug are wrong to dislike her and not agree with her worldview and, and get angry with her for because she is getting angry with them, right? But there is kind of that like twin, you know what I mean? There's that like twinge to it. Yeah. That, no, I feel that. You know, and to a certain extent, like I guess you kind of have to, you have to be able to inhabit the characters in order for them to be real, right? But you can't let too much of that echo back into yourself, and then like let you know, I don't know, force f like force that stuff down upon you. Um, so such that you are now in, a, in an adversarial relationship, and I want to make I now I want to change your mind about Gora. I want you to like Gora because I like Gora sure. because I sympathize with her for however long I did. Yeah, you know I, mean, I mean, but you, I think you have to check that because because obviously you're you're the GM. Um, but like I feel like uh, maybe that's one of the freeing things about being a player is is you you are you are allowed to do that, um, a little bit more. Uh, which I think is, is, is kind of empowering. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, I'm sorry, specifically the GM yeah. kind of relationship with characters. Because I do think that this happens with villains a lot, where GMs will get attached to their villains and constantly have them get away, and that's a really frustrating thing for players to go through. Yeah. Um, no, uh, to a certain extent, I almost wonder if that's what happened. I don't know I don't know that I quite delivered on this in the way that I had intended with Barzillai, um, but uh, it's it's that's like a sort of similar... Right, like like sort of a similar, yeah, yeah. Like, like why we ended up allying with him instead of yeah, yeah. It, I, I think that's all not you know like because obviously there's only a handful of sessions left, um, and I guess this is a mild spoiler to a certain extent. But like no, Bar like Barzlai is on your team, right? The decision yeah. you made to align yourselves with Barzlai Thrun, what is the termination of his adversarial relationship with like the party in a way? Because really, the choice that you were given was: Are you going to allow this person to kind of complete his character arc and self-actualize, or are you going to kind of like fight him to the death before he is allowed to do that or whatever, right? Um, which kind of changes who the like the the big the big villain of the story is and the direction of it, and so now it's very Chalayx focused and everything like that. Um, but to a certain extent, but like that, I think that is like a real choice that players are, you know, like the players need to kind of like make for themselves. Um, yeah, no, it's it's. I don't know. I, I think we could do a, a whole. Well, I think we will talk. We about will end up doing that. Yeah, I guess we will end up doing that at the end of yeah. like Hell's Rebels. Yeah, um, I think there's there's a whole lot to explore there. But trying to get back on task a little bit, I don't know if there's really any characters that I'd say that I that I avatar for then in in, in any game I've played. Um, like, I mean, maybe like, maybe like, uh, maybe Corvo in, in freaking uh, the the first um dishonored like like what like i i had like you know i stealth game for whatever reason weirdly it works better for me in stealth games but it's like who i decide to like sneak past and knock out and who i decide to kill is like very much based on like 
Oh, that's actually interesting because I do feel that for Corvo, and I also feel that for Jensen. Um, yeah, in, in yeah, no, sex. absolutely. I yeah. weirdly feel because Jensen is kind of a cipher and everything, and I don't think that he is like. When I think back on him as a character or whatever, like I don't think that he is a great character, kind of like intellectually, but sort of on like a, an emotional level. I am weirdly connected to him through, like, the stealth gameplay. And it's, like, it's one of those things where, like... Because it's funny, because I have, I have a, a, like, a weird disconnect with Dishonored um, that I've talked about off the cast. I'm not sure I've ever mentioned it, like, on the cast with, like, how I kind of felt like the stealth mechanics in that game were pretty boring. And uh, and the, the interesting way to play the game was a lethal playthrough. And there was, like, a... And I was pissed about that. Because, like... I felt like I wanted to play the stealth version. I wanted to get the good ending. I wanted to be low. I think they call it chaos. Yeah, right? like chaos I wanted to be yeah. low chaos. Um, but I, but I also felt like that was the boring way to play ludically. Um, yeah. No, oh, it's, man, it's, yeah. It, see, it, it's interesting because like in, in any game where like the option is either lethal or non-lethal, right? Like I feel like that, that is a very personal choice that can get into your, get into like what you, you view as right. Right. And like, for Dishonored, especially since they have all of these, like, optional, like, um, ways to, to deal with, with, with the big bads, it's like, I had, like, strict rules for myself, like, I wouldn't kill soldiers because I viewed them as mostly just doing their jobs, but, like, each villain individually, I'd make a judgment on as to whether or not they deserve to die or not, and that's, that's, um, like... See, that, that was another piece of the game that I really didn't like, which was, um, specifically the weird moralizing that went into it, because it assumed that death is preferable to some of these other alternative yeah. ways. Like, with the Pope guy, you brand him or something so that he's, like, excommunicated and he's, like, an exile or something like that. The one, the like, the two brothers that own the mining Yeah, you cut thing. out their tongues and they become, like, mind slaves, which... Yeah, and you become, like, mind slaves, right? And the, the one that really fucks me up, because I don't think this game has a very good relationship with its its women at all, um, is, the, is the lady... Who is really not guilty of any like serious crime? She's just kind of promiscuous, and you, the way you non-lethally punish her is you drug her and kidnap her and hand her over to a stalker so that he can live out an abusive fantasy for with her for the rest of his life. And I, that 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 was like the big one. That was the one where I was like, "This is absurd." right like yeah i don't, I don't what the remember fuck are the one, morals yeah. here you know do you remember like because they're the three ladies and the but they're all the, it's like the three masquerade. sisters one of them is bad in the masks yeah um, yeah and uh and the non-lethal punishment is you give if you give her to a guy in like like a pig mask or something or like a deformed mask of some sort and he's so fucking creepy um and it seems like you are essentially like a sex trafficker like, I, I don't know how else to put it. It seems like you are engaging in human sex slavery and human trafficking. Because you knock her out, you take her downstairs and tell an excuse to, the, to like, the other guards or something like that. That, like, she just needs to, like, sleep one off. And they're, like, slut-shaming her in front of you. She's like, oh, ho, ho, you know, like, you don't, like is are you going to have your way with her or something like that or whatever? And then... And then you get to, like, the bottom where he's in this, like, rowboat or something, and you dump her in the rowboat, and he's like, I'll make sure she never bothers you again. And it's so creepy and gross and disgusting. I was really, oh, Yeah, whoa, maybe boy. I just didn't pick up on that. Like, <laughs> I, 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 I really don't remember. I don't remember that aspect at all. And, 
I don't know. I don't know if I would have decided to get like I like I, I just don't remember much about that mission at all. I don't. I wonder why. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, so you know, I I actually kind of like the idea of let leaving that up to the player. And I think, by the way, that is something that Fallout Three does uh, relatively well because um, it does kind of judge you in a way because it like affects your karma when you make certain decisions. But it's a lot less of a of a of like a judgmental system than Dishonored system is. Like Dishonored judges you harshly for creating chaos, right? right? Through Emily, right? Because when you're doing a low chaos playthrough, Emily is like a sweet, innocent girl. When you're doing a high chaos playthrough, Emily is like drawing pictures of people getting like hung at the gallows and talking about how it's okay to kill people when they disagree with you and just like really shitty stuff so the game so i felt like the game was very much telling me no don't kill these people that's wrong and then offering me these alternate solution these punishment these alternate punishment solutions that i just found like <laughs> insane <laughs> yeah no I, I, absolutely uh, <laughs> i'm sorry i didn't mean to like blow your mind no no i that, just uh, i just I, I don't know i just don't remember the, that piece of the resolution at all it's just it's just, yeah. i don't know i might be talking it up in a yeah. way um in the because i remember it negatively and i haven't played it in 10 years five years um yeah i haven't played it in five years so i, I haven't played it in a, in a long time either um i'm sure i am that. i am remembering it worse than it was um um i for whatever reason in my head i'm remembering like just kind of like i i brief quickly read a synopsis and i what what i think i thought at the time was that like he like the 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 the, the suitor was he loved her and was going to take her away and protect her from you and from whatever revenge could be taken by whatever. And I guess I, I, you are probably right. And I probably just missed the undertones, um, for whatever reason. Um, this sounds like me like being, I'd be like, Oh, he's going to take her away. And she's going to be happy for the rest of her life with a man that she loves. Um, uh, that, that's probably just me getting it totally wrong. So, uh, don't, don't put too much stock in, in, in my memory. Yeah, I, I really don't remember one way or the other. Uh, maybe um, it would all be less creepy if I were to revisit yeah. it. I mean, part of that's uh, probably also, like, um, how how you want to, like, how you want to in interpret that, right? Like, um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of didn't want to kill her, so, like, I didn't realize how horrific, like, I, I remember not really re realizing how horrific some of those punishments were until I, like, you know, had fridge moments about them. Um, and because I didn't want to punish them because I didn't think they had done anything wrong, maybe I just like assumed the best possible outcome. That's that. That's so like that. That's like a very kind of like avatarish moment, right? Like I didn't condemn them to a life of like terribleness. I let them live because I'm nice and good. Um, man, that's weird. God damn it, buddy. <laughs> Ruined <think> for me. <laughs> 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 Yeah, because like I said, like the stealth game characters are the ones that I care about. Like I, I most, pour, I guess I most pour myself into, because uh, you have you have like the most kind of important. I feel like the the option to kill or not to kill is kind of the most important option, right? Like, um, like a lot of games you don't have that choice. At least not universally, right? Like Doom, you have to kill the demons, and like even games that have like mercy options, something like The Witcher Three or, um, or like Skyrim, where like you don't have to kill every character. There are characters that you do probably have to kill, right? Like, whether they're bandits or raiders or whatever. Um, at least in, like, a normal playthrough that isn't, like, completely weird. Um, 
Yeah, that's that's, that's I, I actually think that's super interesting. Um, although I do think that I don't. That, that, that that's a whole other thing about whether or not you should be able to do completely non-lethal playthroughs of like CRPGs. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I also wonder, like, are there? Can you think of any like female characters that you have a very good? Uh, like, a, like there aren't a lot of options. Uh, there's kind of the can't remember the protagonist's name in Mirror's Edge, and then there's obviously Lara Croft in some of the new Tomb Raiders and stuff like that. Um, can you think of any, like, do you have a tough time? Because I think part of this is kind of colored by the fact that most video game protagonists are, you know, like, relatively close representations of, you know, us from, like, an identity standpoint in the sense of straight white men. Right? Yeah, I mean, um, I have, so, like, I can't think of... Like, I don't think there's any non-directed characters that kind of fall into that position. Because, like, I don't think there's any, like, ciphers or semi-directed characters that don't give you that gender choice option, right? Like, um, they're all, like, customizable enough that, like, I, I don't ever have to to think about it. I, I will say that, like, um, certain, M like, certain uh, Korean and Chinese MMOs have gender-locked classes, and I can't play the... The, the female classes in those it just bothers me too much um, interesting yeah um i feel that no I, I i get that i actually i think it's easier with directed characters specifically because there is that kind of like level of distance like i feel for laura croft um and i feel you know like for i don't know um because there just are not a lot of great examples for like these kinds of characters or like protagonists or whatever um, or like the guy, the, the crackdown guy who is, you know, uh, an African-American police officer, right? Like, I don't have a tough time empathizing or getting into those kinds of characters when they are directed. Um, and I do choose every once in a while to make my cypher characters a little bit different, right? My character in Sea of Thieves is a black guy. Um, because I like, I always like the idea of playing a pirate, uh, an escaped slave as a pirate, um. Yeah, no, like, I don't know. It's never come up in, in like, uh, in Crusader Kings. <laughs> like, it's never been, oh like... Oh, my God, yeah, you're right, yeah. Um, well, I've played, I've played a couple of women, because um, sometimes when... I've, I've done a couple of Spain playthroughs in Europa Universalis, where I've played uh, Isabella for a while. Um, but that's also a little different. It's not quite as personal as Crusader Kings. I just like it, it doesn't bother me when like it 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 happens right like it's you know like oh he, okay here's an interesting one League of Legends or Heroes of the Storm or Overwatch or like, like Street Fighter can... like yeah the, I don't yeah, yeah, yeah I don't think about those at all but they're like they're like not like I don't view them really even as characters right like they're not even directed characters they're just like kind of like agents to play like that is pure really? game sport right like. Um, like I played a bunch of Armika in the, uh, in the Street Fighter V beta. Um, and you know, like I, I, I just don't like that, that, that doesn't influence my choice really at all. Um, like I like Alawi in, in, in law when I was still playing that. Um, see, I don't think I would like League of Legends and the characters in there if there was no personality, oh. right? If it was just champion ABCD and they were just polygons or something kind of along those lines. But I do feel, but it was very easy for me to get into any any character. I never had a trouble playing sure. Jinx or Vi. In fact, I wonder cuz I did I did tend to like the characters that I played, right? Like 
I like Yasuo, and I think Yasuo is a cool character in League of Legends, insofar as League of Legends can have cool characters, because um, there's all a bazillion problems with their, like, narrative design or whatever. But, like, I wonder if, like, part of my, um, like, part of what gravitated me towards Yasuo is that, or maybe, maybe it's the, the reverse, right? Because I played a lot of Yasuo, because I liked Yasuo's mechanics. I ended up liking his character and his story, right? Because I liked Vi or Jinx's uh, mechanics. I liked their story and their character. I really wonder. I don't have a good answer for that question. Yeah. No, like, I, I, I definitely am with you that I think that it's, that, like, I like that they have personality, but that never enters into, like, when I'm playing them, I, I never, that never enters into it for me. Um, like, I just don't think about that. Um don't know really know why um yeah i i it's just like yeah like i've played like i just i haven't played a ton of games that that have a lot of those options um they're, they're like i played a little bit of of some of the tomb raider games and like that's never a thing for me but that's because like if you look at directed stuff it, it, it doesn't bother me because they're directed and i don't know how do you feel about i'm just kind of looking through my, my Steam game list. How do you feel about um uh about like XCOM, right? Like, do you, do you view yourselves as the soldiers or as the commander? Because I, I definitely view oh, myself I view as the commander. My, I, I definitely view myself as the commander, but I get so fucking attached to my soldiers. Right. But, this is what makes XCOM so great in a lot of ways. Like, you know, yeah, man, I rode through the entirety of XCOM two off of one. I think she was um like because they have these old generated backstories, and I think she was like. Mexican or like Guatemalan she was some Latin American country um and her name was Cobra and she was like a, an assault or whatever with the with the sword and uh and yeah man I was all about that she was the best um so I definitely related to those characters even if I didn't yeah uh that, yeah. absolutely I got I definitely feel that um just looking through my stuff, I guess I guess what remains of Edith Finch is probably the most recent thing I've played with like a definitely gendered protagonist um, in, in that kind of way, um, or definitely gendered protagonist that isn't, that isn't like, uh, a, a, like, a Neo, I guess. Neo, Neo has, has a, a set protagonist. Um, but again, I don't, I don't view myself as William from, from Neo. Um, I view myself as kind of like the guy controlling, uh, Neo. Same thing with like God of War. Um, but what remains of the Finch is interesting because it's, it's, it's kind of walking simulator Um, and like, is that like the, the the person you're controlling definitely has a character, but it's definitely I definitely like, even though that's first person, um, I definitely feel like I'm just like, it's like a pregnant half Indian woman is the protagonist of that game. Um, I definitely feel like I'm piloting her rather than like being her. Um, there, there, there's a titular Edith Finch, or no, no Edith Finch is the is the grandmother. I think I forget. Anyway, that was a great experience. I re recommend it for everybody. Um, man. Interesting question. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, but that like, was, uh... like I said, I don't. I never have any problem getting into a character that isn't like that isn't a a, a, a person even, right? Like, like, um, uh, like, I, I don't know. I haven't like 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 my Skyrim characters, right? Like, I, I don't play I don't play humans, and so they don't have like an ethnicity to speak of. So it's not like that. That's that's the thing. But I, I do always play on on gender for that. I. I don't. Know, it feel. I think it would feel much weirder for me to play off gender than it would for me to play off, uh, off, off ethnicity or, or off race in terms of like fantasy races and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. I don't know. That is... Uh, th- there's, lo- there's a lot more to that than I expected. Yeah. Spoiler alert, we were, like, trying to fish for a good... Uh, a good topic idea when we were when we were talking about recording today, um, and there's God, there's a lot more to this idea than I even really think we mind. <laughs> yeah, no, we can, we could probably talk for a while longer on it, but uh, but we're at our we're at our one hour mark. Uh, how was your week? Tell me all about t- how's Monster Hunter treating you. It's pretty good. Um, I kind of I didn't really hit a wall, Monster Hunter. Um. Like, the first story mission that, like, I started doing some story missions kind of in a row because, like, the game had... So, this this is a weird thing that happens in games is, like, the, you know, the, the person giving you the mission is, like, oh, we need to do this right now. And you don't actually need to do it ever, right? Like, you can just do it at your leisure. But it's, like, oh, it says they have to do it now, so go do it now. And I do it. It's, like, you need, definitely need to grind for a little bit longer. I need to get some better gear to, to face down this Nergagante thing. Um, it's the first, the first uh, fight I've had that has been significantly more difficult. Um, then, uh, uh, then kind of like the, the base stuff that I've been running around with. Um, and I, I've kind of put that to the, not, not like given up on, I just kind of like haven't played it in a couple of days. I've been playing Neo and, uh, I just started Middle Earth Shadow of War today. Um, and boy, Shadow of War, you know, we talked about this was a game that I was super hyped for, then was completely unhyped for, and, you know, haven't played until today, you know, like a year or not a year, but like. Nine months past its release, um, I picked it up on sale on one of the Steam sales, and uh, I don't know, as I'm not like a huge Tolkien nerd, but like I'm enough of one that I'm like this stuff is not canon. Why is Shelob a sexy woman? And I know how this has to end unless they go full Django Unchained with it, but I don't think that's gonna happen. Um, I don't know. That game just feels weird to me narratively, um, uh, especially because, especially because, like, you know, even if you are not a fan, even if you're not like a big Tolkien nerd and aren't picking up on the littler things, like, you know, the big thing is, is you know, it's like, it's like you have to go kill the Dark Lord, and your immediate reaction for literally everybody who's playing this game is going to be, well, that's not going to happen. Um, I guess part of the wonder is how is it, how is that not going to happen, but. I don't know. It feels weird. Uh, okay. You, I'm, I'm interested to play it. I haven't, you know, touched it, obviously. But, have, have, uh, you, have you ever had that kind of experience where, like, some other piece of media or some other, like, you know, anything that's a prequel would qualify as this, right? Where you you know that, like, like certain end states have to be the case in, 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 in a way. So I think this goes into a bigger philosophy I have about an adaptation. I think that there are certain kinds of adaptations that are what we would call interpretive adaptations, uh, like certain kinds of like um, like materials or like universes or something like that, um, and uh, and certain kind of adaptations that we would call like faithful adaptations or something kind of along those lines. Uh, and I think Tolkien is something that is demanding of faithful adaptations and not very. Um, respective of interpretive adaptations. The other, op- the, like, the other version of this is sort of like Batman, right? Batman is very open to interpretive adaptation, where you can basically take Batman and put him in, you know, 
fighting Jack the Ripper in the 18th century as a cowboy, as a blank, as a, you know, whatever, right? Um, in the movies with Christian Bale, in the movies with Ben Affleck, in the movies with George Clooney, right? Like, these are all still Batman, um, but they are different interpretations of it, and Batman, the property, is is flexible to those interpretations. Um, whereas, I don't think Tolkien wants that. I just, I think... Tolkien wants faithful adaptations. And I also think that, uh, and I think there are other stuff that also wants faithful adaptations. In a weird way, I actually think Star Wars wants faithful adaptations, even though they are technically not adaptations. I think when people talk about, um, it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie, they are essentially talking about faithful versus interpretive adaptation um, when it comes to this this concept so yeah i definitely do understand what you're getting at um and i think that uh and i think that tolkien is rigid when it comes to uh adaptations and he doesn't and it doesn't want to you you don't want someone to go play in that sandbox wait, right wait. you don't want to give him the tools to root around in the sandbox in the same way that you might with batman or superman or you, whatever you, else. you think star wars needs faithful adaptations uh, no, uh, <laughs> specifically. I what, But what I think is when people say that, okay. when people say, you know, it didn't feel like a Star Wars movie, what they are saying is, I want something that is mo a more faithful adaptation than what the, inter the interpretive adaptation I got. I'm actually pretty far on the other end of that when it comes to Star Wars. Oh, no, because I, really I, like... I was about to call you out hard about, about the fucking No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, th history, that's why yeah. I like... Right, that's why I like Rogue One, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Rogue One is a very different Star Wars movie, and it is, uh, and it is interpretive, right? It is somebody gets the key, the you know the key to the playground and makes his own sandcastle or kind of whatever you know, like whatever other metaphor you want to use about it. And in general, I do think in being open to in like I am probably more interpretive than the average person, right? To a certain extent, I think the failure of something like Batman vs Superman is an interpretive failure. Um, where people look at what they see on screen and they say that is not a, you know, even even though Batman is a very fluid or Superman is a very fluid to adaptation character, that is not a, a, a fair adaptation. Um, yeah, I, I also think there's there's a matter of kind of like drawing it out in a, in a way, right? Like, yeah. as, like Rogue One has, it, has its detractors, but like I think it's got less detractors than say like TLJ. Um, mm -hmm. And we definitely, like, a lot like we got years and years of EU that kind of pushed the adaptation towards like something that could be like Rogue, Rogue One, where we didn't have a lot of kind of like that that goofball like, not to say that you know like, pending our last conversation about TLG as a screwball comedy, right? Like not to say that like that's absolutely what it is, but its kind of tendencies in that direction haven't really been explored in any kind of significant way. Yeah. Oh, by the way, this like, actually reminds me because it's a point that I didn't make last week on the podcast, but I did want to make about the goofball. Or I'm sorry. Screwball. Marvel humor. Oh, Marvel um, humor. And the, and the screwball comedy. To what extent do you find... Um, to what extent do you find the humor um, in the original trilogy, right, where, you know, like Han is like, I'm fine, how are you? You know, any of that kind of stuff. And to what extent is that bathos, is that Marvel humor? Huh. That's an interesting question. I, um, I, I specifically did this because I needed to check myself. I didn't quite believe what I said last week, and it's mostly because I think there's a difference. I think there's a difference between what Marvel does and what this thing does, and I can't put my finger on yeah, it. Yeah, no, I, I want to say that too, but part of me also wants to say, like, you know, I've like I've been, I've thought about this too, right? Like that that um, you know, like the, to to draw a parallel, there's the um, there's there's the your mama joke at the beginning of TLJ, and like, is this is my appreciation of the 
the original trilogy humor just that like i'm not aware that that was like the equivalent of a your mama joke from like the 80s that i just am not aware of because you know i'm a younger person um and i'm not super sure about that also like because like, i i def yeah i know i definitely think that there's stuff that's like that in there you're like oh a little short for a stormtrooper or whatever she says you know like i think that that is kind of like that is a uh, it's not a your mama joke but it is like i think the kind of female character dressing down uh, a male character that is right in keeping with like the feminist movement of the 70s yeah right and that you see that kind of humor in a lot of different stuff and the, the important thing see i, I actually rewatched the beginning of the last jedi just to to wrap my head around this because I think there's the difference is that it's not really bathos because it's for a purpose in the same way that the, Han in the Death Star was stalling for time yeah. um, and he was trying to play it off and failing and that's funny. And Poe is stalling for time and trying to, you know what I mean? And like, and so there was like a narrative purpose to it. That's, so it is constructive to the narrative, not deconstructive to the narrative. And it has to be deconstructive to be bathos. But I also don't quite believe that all the way. I really don't know. I'm so, really so in the dark. I, I, I think there's one. a couple of things that are just off the top of my head. Um, first, um, the, the, the Han thing is that like Han isn't telling a joke, right? Han is, it is humorous to the audience, but it's not like he's like, making fun of the like he, he's not like making fun of this, the, the the person on the end of the line to his face right like he was he's trying to like he is in some sense legitimately trying to 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 buy time right like um he, he's legitimately trying to pass himself off as a stormtrooper even though he's failing miserably and that's funny to us as the audience but it's not it's not like a diss in universe right it's not like the person standing next to the officer could snort and be like owned Right, like you could. Right, and so, but in but in, TLG. the the scene with Poe, that does happen. Yeah. Um, God. Um, I think there's there's another aspect to it too, which is kind of like, in terms of the absolute bathos point, it's not undercutting a dramatic moment, right? Like it's not like like Han isn't about to like, you know, stand up to the Empire or something, and it kind of like get like it doesn't get undercut in that way right it's, it's not like he's, yeah okay yeah because i because i think that there's a lot of bathos humor in the force awakens that bothers me yeah specifically like with finn and with captain phasma when he's like i'm in charge now phasma i'm in charge and then like and the hunt is like cool it down kid or whatever right like i don't know that always that to me like undermines the threat that phasma you know or or the the thing where like fa like what, what happens she like walks out of an elevator and like Chewie hits her with the fucking cross bolter thing or something. It's just like, the, you know, like that stuff was playing off Captain Phasma's menace for a joke, which is bathos and bad. Yeah. You know I, what I mean? I also but think that, that like, I don't know. Part of this is maybe that like Finn isn't well defined enough, maybe. Right? Like, Finn. Yeah, that's also true. He's not as much of a character. Yeah. Like, like if, if, if you, like, everything that Han does is in line with what Han is. And, like, if, like, Finn is kind of, like, you know, uh, is kind of, like, a, a coward in a lot of ways, but, like, not so totally that, like, this fits with him. I, I think this is kind of, like, goes along also with, like, those characters don't always play well in Star Wars, right? Like, people really hate Jar Jar, and Jar Jar is, like, the worst version of this in a lot of ways. Um, but Jar Jar also never tries to, like, hold an important plot NPC at gunpoint, right? Like, 
I don't know. Oh, that's that's that, that's that's a really interesting question. Jeez. And it's just something I was thinking about. Because yeah. a, a bunch of pieces... I think The Last Jedi hit Blu-ray recently, which must be why. Because uh, a bunch of interesting videos have come out about it. And as much as I kind of fucking am so tired of these, I always watch them because I think that they're, yeah. you know... Um, they're, like a lot of the time, they're like from people that I think are good. And somebody said something along those lines, which is that like Poe was stalling for time. And I was like, yeah, you're right. So that doesn't make it bathos. And I had to like re kind of conjigger my own thoughts on, on yeah, it. I mean, it also, just because it's not necessarily bathos doesn't mean it's necessarily good, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, maybe this is just me being like, well, this is a joke from, you know, like the the aughts and not the 80s and therefore it's bad and not star wars um but maybe i i, I want to say that there's something deeper there but i i don't know i definitely can't think of it in like the you know the 10 minutes we have left so i, I don't know if i'll have to think on that one jesus good question yeah. buddy yeah patrick willems uh put, put out a a video he does a couple of these and they're typically about kind of um they're typically about movies that are like either controversial which is why the last jedi pops up um or like not loved in their time like he has a whole series on why the mission impossible movies are good he has a whole series on why the fast and the furious movies are good um and it's and like in the universe of the joke of the video essay it's him like explaining to his parents who don't understand at all about any of this stuff but the most recent one was was a 20 minute video on the last jedi about this where he was talking about why the last jedi was good um and he took a hard good stance i would say where he was incredibly uncharitable to any of the detracting opinions um about it but um yeah i, I, yeah, I don't know like just kind of like in this kind of world of video of video essays i think that's that's probably like the, the single biggest problem i have with with stuff on like any side of these things is being incredibly uncharitable to your opponents yeah. um i don't know uh, I mean, and it's funny because I and I think to a certain extent this side of YouTube is built to kind of reflect and validate people's own opinions back on them. Um, the good a good example of this is uh, Mikey Newman, uh, who's actually who was a video game writer. He wrote the Borderlands uh, games. Uh, he has a has a series called Movies with Mikey, and he just did one on Thanos about how why he had a really tough time with infinity war and it spoke to me because i also had a tough time with infinity war um but the interesting thing is immediately after he published that video he got a ton of backlash from like really you know like from fans right people yeah. who really love his his show um specifically what he attacked a couple of just like the the the, the main points about infinity war that um that detractors of infinity war typically hit on which is stuff like they ruined guardians of the galaxy right um by you know by killing gamora and everything um they reset thor and kind of erased thor ragnarok which is not good um you know uh and but the but the the thing at the core of it that really hit home for me and why i think i've been so kind of i've had a i've had a tough time with all of the um like all of the videos and all of the perspectives that are like, oh, the, the interesting thing about Infinity War is that Thanos is the protagonist and Thanos is empathetic or whatever, um, is that I find Thanos to be revolting. And the thing that he, he says is that Thanos kidnaps Gamora and abuses her 
and then equates her uh, the that abuse with love, right? And the movie very like that is, and I think that is true and also bad, right? Um, uh, and that's kind of at the heart of it. But anyway, the interesting thing was is. So many of his fans got on his case about it because, yeah, Infinity War is a popular movie. People don't want to hear why, you know, people don't want to hear why a popular movie they liked is not as good as they thought it was. And they get and they get angry about that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not even, this ha- I, and this happens all the time. It's just, you know, the, the, the most recent example. Like, the same thing happened with Adam from YMS about Mission Impossible Fallout because for some reason film nerds love the Mission Impossible series because uh, he gave it like a five or a six or something like that. Um, you know, it, it happens It happens all the time. Um, so, I don't know. Now, the interesting thing I have seen is a ton of pushback about the Red Letter Media review. Like, um, other YouTubers who are... Like, there are other YouTubers who are commenting on it um, which is interesting because I kind of always felt like because Red Letter Media was such like an er channel for this stuff, um, they kind of are above that level of criticism in yeah. a way. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think yeah. I think that they specifically the Plinket reviews fall into the cinema singe trap of, um, you know, like. You can't tell what's supposed to be like maybe a real criticism and what's supposed to be like a joke, um, and you know was that always true? Is that just an easy excuse, right? Like that that whole thing, um, you know, does Mike Stokasa just want to vent for a while about a thing that aggravated him? And he's just pulling everything out because it makes him feel good, and is that really a, a problem? Um, uh, but like, because like nothing that isn't the Plinket reviews feels anything like that, right? Like. Like, even kind of, like, the, you know, like, the, the nerd crew and, like, the scientist man stuff is is, is more restrained and feels less kind of, like, less like that than the Plinket reviews do. And the Plinket reviews yeah. are, are relatively rare, too. So, I, like, they're, and like, the, once And a the Plinket year. reviews also, I think, aren't, like, the nerd crew is true satire. Right. That doesn't really ever break that. But the Plinket reviews aren't. Right? Yeah. Because no, the Plinket absolutely. reviews do think of themselves as having some kind of some level of insight. Um, I don't know. I, I do feel convicted in what I said last week about like that I think we just kind of moved beyond that level of criticism. Um, and people, you know, I feel like the rise of someone like Lindsay Ellis over the last two years, I think is entirely due to uh, the way that she takes a deeper and more thoughtful look at this stuff, right? Or movies with Mikey or Patrick H. Willems or whoever, you know, like any one of these other kind of like rival video essayists. Uh, but it was really interesting to see them, to see, well, not them, a number of them went after, not all, like Nick's Fear. Do you know Nick's Fears? No. Uh, she's specifically like a kind of like a horror movie person, but, you know, she had like a whole thread and she was like, you know, I pity anybody that thinks they've learned anything about screenwriting from the the Last Jedi review. Like we've moved, like we've moved beyond this level of criticism, um, yeah. kind of I sentiments. Mean, I, again, I, I I think that there's some legitimate stuff in the Plinket review, but I, I I get that perspective. Which is funny. Yeah, I, I I wonder if the Half in the Bag review. I somebody said, did you say this that the Half in the Bag review is their real review of the Last Jedi? Yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder. I wonder about that. Because I didn't have that same kind of reaction to the to the half in the bag review. Well, the half in the bag review, like 
they also didn't like it there, but they didn't, they didn't, they, they don't go through the nitpick things, right? Like, which I think the, the, you know, like the, the, the movie blasphemies thing, I think is, is, is a big part of what the Plinkett reviews are, um, in a lot of ways. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, 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 they expound upon some of the examples a little bit more, right? Like the screwball comedy thing is, is I think a novel interpretation and that's like a kind of a deep dive, but like some of them are also like a lot smaller and a lot like less valid. Um, but they kind of bring this, this conversation a little bit full circle. Um, uh, do you, do you watch, uh, like, like stories of old? No, it's that another, another, uh, movie essay, video essay type channel. Um, and he just did a two part series about, um, Tolkien and the Lord of the Rings. Um, which probably kind of influences why I'm so like, like, like weirded out by like this, um, by Shadow of War. Um, and he, like, I highly recommend it to everybody. I'll, I'll put some links in the description. Oh, I have, yeah, like the mythology of hope. I haven't seen his thing, but, um, yeah. I, I did, it did cross my eyes, I guess. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, super interesting because he goes into like how like Tolkien's kind of worldview isn't that like the moral thing isn't, you know, succeeding it's like making the choice to do the right thing and then like like the goodness comes about is that because like his you know lord of the ring when you think about it is is very much kind of like hinged on fate right like the fact that the choice was made not to kill Gollum leads to um iluvatar causing Gollum to bite off frodo's finger in his moment of weakness um and 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 destroying the ring right it's not destroyed by the acts of man it's just it you know man makes the, the right choice even even though it, it's in the face of bad odds and then he's rewarded kind of like uh 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 what's the word like spiritually maybe like like the like fate rewards that right it's it because you know jr tolkien's deeply christian man and um uh he has explicitly said that you know that um that 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 uh lord of the rings is not allegory because he hates allegory but definitely holds those same kind of moral values it was a very interesting video essay highly recommend that everybody go watch it um but yeah yeah i mean i i boy lord of the rings is an important i think lord of the rings is one of the most important movies that's ever been made an important like, I think sorry that, you cut out for i think i think lord of the lord of the rings is one of the most important movies movies series okay. like that have ever yeah. been made i think that the current generation that we have been in is due almost entirely to lord of the rings yeah. um not not entirely because i think things like the prequels right um obviously the first x-men movie doing doing like huge numbers and stuff like that uh but really i think the thing that broke down some of these barriers um and created the last 20 years of film has is rests squarely on the soul on the shoulders of those three lord of the rings movies peter jackson and Warner Brothers. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that to a, to a certain extent. Um, I I also think that Lord of the Rings is three of the most important books um, of the that, last I, century. Yes, yeah. I, I absolutely agree with that as well. Like, I, I think, um, like, that, like, introduced their kind of whole modern conception of modern fantasy is, is thanks to that series of books. And kind of their whole modern conception of world building in that way, too, I think. Not that they didn't exist beforehand, but I just think that, like, kind of, like, bringing it to the mainstream in that kind of way... Um, it was kind of incredible considering how like not great of a read those books are. Um, I know. No, and it's funny because they are like they they are tremendously important, um, but they like didn't even like win awards or whatever because they also came out the same year. Do you, do you know if the Foundation series? Yeah, yeah. Like Asimov's Foundation. 
which is, by the way, my favorite book of all time. Um, but uh, the Foundation series kind of scooped all of like the, the awards out from under Lord of the Rings. And I think Foundation is immensely important, right? Um, you don't get stuff like Warhammer. You don't get Star Wars without Foundation, because Foundation was kind of one of the first things to... It was basically the first book that ever was like Star Empire, you know, like Galaxy Empire. Yeah. I mean, I also don't think um, you get Star Wars without Lord of the Rings. No, uh, sure, definitely. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, it's funny. It's I just I always have found that kind of that like fact and idea like funny that you know I don't know. It's also weird because some some of these other things like Space Marines comes from Robert Heinlein. Uh, do you know Robert Heinlein? Uh, sounds familiar. I've definitely he he is he is a I mean he is kind of a fascist, but he's also kind of a libertarian. It's very unclear. Um, oh, is he Moon is a dark is uh, is a cruel mistress? Uh, maybe he, the big thing is Starship Troopers. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the Moon is a Starship, Heart is also him. Yeah, 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 yeah. He is so he made Starship Troopers, which is a very fascist. Well, no, it's it's story. It's it's, it's um, it, but but it's it's it's. I think that like Mrs. I mean, I've never read the book, but like the movie's quite clearly kind of like a. a yeah. A, so the movie, yeah, the movie is satire. The movie is unfunny satire. It's not jokey, right? Yeah. But it is a satire of. The fascism of the novel, um, which is kind of because Paul Verhoeven, um, you know, who's a good, you know, like he, Robocop and stuff like that, right, is a thoughtful uh, director um, and kind of like brought that stuff out from, from within. But like, yeah, he was publishing in this exact same time, too, you know, and as much as I think that uh, Robert Heinlein is a not, you know, I mean, I don't know how all of these people are going to be problematic by our, like, modern standards or whatever, but, like, not a good guy, and he didn't espouse good things. Um, the, his, his work has had just as important, you know, we don't have StarCraft, we don't have Space Marines, you know, any of that kind of stuff either, right? Because he's the person that kind of brought that, like, the Zerg, uh, to the mainstream and stuff like that. So it is, I always find it like interesting to kind of like chart some of this stuff back through time to see like what it was like. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, just, just kind of like, you know, like Orcs are Green is very much a, a, a Warhammer thing, but it's like so yeah. standard, right? Like um, the, the idea that they're green skins, even that's just weird. Uh, I also think it's super interesting how like different themes bleed into each other, right? Like, um, like Paizo goblins are very different than WoW goblins, but like they still like. I don't really think about that unless like I sit down and think about that. Otherwise, it kind of just like you know they all kind of like fill in the stew of like what a goblin is. Um, um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's it is all super interesting. Um, but uh, I don't know. But I, but yeah, I guess I don't know. We didn't play any uh, we didn't play any Hell's Rebels because World Twenty was down. For the Labor Day weekend, um, but uh, we should be good to go next week. So I guess we'll, we'll be able to talk about that as you guys enter sort of like the very final, the very final stretch of uh, of the campaign. Uh, and I feel like that's it. I don't know how many uh, sessions do you estimate it's going to be? Uh, two or three. Okay. It's it's a dungeon. Uh, it's a dungeon uh, with like eight rooms or so. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm excited. Excellent. Awesome. All right. Well, if you'd like to, to email us and tell us what uh, you think of protagonist ludics, 
um, or any of the other things we talked about on the show, um, you can email us at uh, podcast at somedurbsplaygames.com or somedurbsplaygames at gmail.com. New website's up, uh, made with uh, Squarespace. They're not a sponsor, but it was very simple, so, you know, I can recommend that. <laughs> I mean, they could be a sponsor. Well, yeah, Squarespace. Here's looking Call at you, Squarespace. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so that's up there. It's, it's just a simple podcast feed. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll, we'll we'll put some improvements on that in the future. Um, uh, what else is there? You can, if you want to watch the the ending of Hell's Rebels, you can watch it at twitch.tv slash nervousplaygames. Uh, you can follow us on Twitch. You can follow us on SoundCloud. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us all the, these great places. Leave us a five star review on iTunes. Comment. We'd love. We'd be great. Thanks. It helps us get discovered by anybody. Um, and uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else that you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I am looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.